pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. If we're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water, leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice on <laughs> it. I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> When will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Angreement, where we meet, not every week, every other week. You would think by um, episode 17, we that, but we don't. We don't. Doesn't matter. Yeah, so every episode we get together and we bring you three things, a weird thing, a pop culture thing, and a research thing. And then at the end, we attempt to tie them all together and leave you with something you can take away. Let's do it. I go first this episode. I'm so episode glad you keep track. 17. I'm keeping track. So, weird thing. This may not, at first, seem like a weird thing. And I know, I know, because I know you, friend, that you are going to judge me for this being a weird thing. I am going to say what the weird thing is. Let the judgment happen. Accept my judgment. And Accept then your judgment. Yeah. And then reverse engineer and accept the judgment of the whole listening audience, who I assume will think this is not so weird. Um, and then I will tell you why. For me, it is a very weird thing. And then we're all going to feel judged for having judged. Oh, no. I deserve no. the judgment. No. <laughs> oh, this is not justified. <laughs> um, so my weird thing is that this week, for the first time in my adult life, pretty much, got my library card. That is a weird thing. Why did you not have a library card? Yeah. What did your um, mother say about this? Well, that is funny you should ask, Michelle. <laughs> the reason I got my library card is that my parents, who I, myself, my spouse, my parents have all gotten vaccinated. And because of that, hooray for medical science and technology, we they visited me in Colorado. Yay. Yay. And um what did we choose to do at that time? Go to the library. We went to the library. My of mother, you did. my I mother, nothing less. My mother is a librarian. Favorite childhood memories are hanging out in the library from our hometown because it felt like we had secret access to all the. Oh yeah, yeah. We got to like go hang out in the basement of the library if we, we wanted. Were very cool. That I did feel like a cool kid, and that tells you how cool Michelle and I were. That that's how we felt cool was secret backdoor access to the library. I'm still jealous of little us and our secret backdoor access to the library. So I don't know. I think we were cool. I love it. Yeah. I oh yeah. I'm not gonna step back from that. So my mom was is still is the librarian 
for the town we grew up in. House they were staying at was very close to a library. So one day my mom said to my father, I'm taking Catherine out. We're going shopping. And so I thought, okay, we're going to get a coffee. We'll stroll outdoors and like look at the little shops. Nope, nope. We went to the library and we got a library card. My mother shamed me into getting a library card. Solid parenting right there. Yes. Great parenting. I'm glad she was there to set this right. She, I really disappointed her as we walked up to the library. I said, what, you can you, you just go in and they give it to you? She's like, yes, that's how it works. And I said, oh, wait, and then I can get books for free. And my mom was just like, yes, you know this. You grew up in the library with me working at the library. And so I don't quite, that's why it's extra weird. I don't quite know why I haven't in my whole adult life, wherever I've lived, not just gotten a library card. Some of it's because you've always had access to academic libraries, right? So like, yes, this is something I'm figuring out, right? That yeah, I've, I've, you know, I went to undergrad and then I went to grad school and then I worked in colleges and you have library access. But it's not the same. It's not the same as your local community library. It just isn't Michelle, good. I'm learning this. I They're know. so magical. I like have said, because I, I'm in, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri and our pub, our city is not known for its great local governance. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but our, our local library system is phenomenal. And I have said jokingly, but only half jokingly, what if we just gave them all the money and let them figure it out? Because they, like when the pandemic hit, they were like, oh, we'll give lunches to people who aren't in school and can't eat. We'll give diapers to people who don't, like, I mean, it was just like, you could just throw any problem at the library and they're like, we'll figure it out. And, and they were, I just, I am, they started renting out hotspots and laptops so kids could do virtual school. Like just That's amazing. The library system is amazing. I think that they are magical. Magical is the word magical. Um, maybe, you know, now I'm not dissing university libraries. They're amazing. They have served me so well. Um, also shout out to university librarians, the one at, UCCS, I won't say his name because I don't, who knows, but shout out to the research librarian I utilize at UCCS. I bring him in to talk to my class every semester, but it is like for my job and it is, it serves a different purpose, university libraries. And I walked into this public library and it was magical. I walked in, I asked for a library card they gave me a library card. I got to choose what design it had on it. Oh my gosh. And then I walked out with a book and it was magic. <laughs> and I my- feel so stupid at 37 years old being like, this is magic. I did not know about as my mother goes, you know about this. I am a librarian. <laughs> I literally chose one of the factors of the house that I live in when we were choosing between them was its proximity to the library because you don't even have to cross the street I am you can it's just right there and we um you know it's been closed to uh 
indoor stuff because of COVID, it, they just reopened and now they've, they've lifted the restrictions for how long you can be in there, but we're still using like their curbside, but they've been so amazing. Like I can just click like, Oh, I want all these books. And then they'll just put them in a bundle and bring them out to me. And then sometimes, sometimes they'll see which books I have and they'll be like, do you want some extra books? Like we put together this bundle that we think would be good for your kids based on the books you picked. I'm like, yes, yes, I do want that. Like they're just, they are, they're magical. They're just, it's amazing. It's amazing. I just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about my library card. And I checked out a book. Have you looked and at it's Libby, due. Libby and Hoopla? Yes. And they have, but they also have audiobooks. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't so realize I, this. Yeah, for some I use reason. Libby and Hoopla for audiobooks and yeah. they're just free, free audiobooks, free movies, free, just, yeah. Use your libraries, a, people. Libraries. That is something I will say. It's partly because I've had access to university libraries. It's partly because I am a monster to books, which I will get into in a second. And then it's partly because the way I consume a lot of media is um, through pirating. I'm sorry. And I need to get better about these things. I want to be a better consumer. And the library is helping me. I can get audiobooks. Audiobooks are actually more than television, more than movies, more than music. Audiobooks are very hard to illegally pirate. Um, and I don't like doing it anyway because I want to support authors. And so, no, now I can just get all the audiobooks I want. I checked out a real book that day. It's due at a certain point. So I need to finish it. So I already am reading a lot more um, on a better just more quickly. I have a list I made of books I'm going to get from the library. I'm so excited. And this feels so banal, but the magic this has brought into my life, I just can't. If anyone out there doesn't have a library card, which I, you probably do. It's, that's why it's weird to me that I've got made it this far without one. But if you don't, I am not judging you. I'm just saying, go get a library card because it's magical. The other thing is that the little side weird thing is that my mom is a librarian. So much of her job revolves around books and treating books well and being respectful to them. And I don't know what it is. It's something like, oh, the old adage that like the preacher's children are wild and bad, that I am so bad to books that I write all over them. I dog ear, I fold the pages. I don't use bookmarks all my past book crimes, I feel reformed. I feel born anew. I'm just going to take care of my books because someone else reads them. It's so, right? These are not just like disposable things. You're part of a trash. community. It's a community. Don't it's a magical put, Don't put community. the gas in the trash bag. I'm not putting the, tra- <laughs> not putting the gas in the trash bag. I am not filling up my bookshelves at home with like Amazon fiction books that I will read once and not look at again. No more. I'm done. And I love it. And that's my weird thing. I'm so, I'm so happy. I can't describe the magic of this. I'm and I know you know it. It is late in your life to discover this, especially since <laughs> so your mother taught us so well. But she you know. taught, I mean, you clearly learned these. I, lessons. I I picked up the lessons. I don't know. She dragged me into that library. She was standing next to me the whole time. And at one point, I do have to share this part of the story because I love it. Um, 
the librarian was getting me my card and we were looking up a book and she went, oh, what system are you using? And the librarian looked at her like, like rolled her eyes and went, it's an online system. Like, why, why do you care? And so I said, oh, you know, my mom's a librarian. She came here to help me get a library card. And the woman immediately went, oh, oh, okay. Well, it's actually a Cisco da, 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 and then did like a ton of shop talk and was like, I got you librarian. So it was just wonderful. That's my weird thing. My weird thing is, so as a parent, YouTube is a tricky world. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the right face to make. <laughs> because there's all kinds of great stuff on YouTube. Like I use YouTube to create content for um, learners and I post my own stuff on there. And I definitely find stuff as a homeschooling parent to share from there. But like, there's, there's no clear barriers. Like, you know, like the, the, the big concrete barriers they put in the middle of the median to keep you from going across and going into the traffic the wrong way. YouTube doesn't have those. You can be like, oh, here's a cute little video of kittens. Oh, here's some racist porn. What, how did this happen? Right? Like there's, there's no, there's no divisions. Um, it, it spirals real quick. And so my daughter who is 10, I will not let her watch YouTube away from me. So like, she has to be in the same room as me where I can hear what she's watching, which is a punishment for me. So, Ooh, yeah. Ooh. My, so sometimes my, responsible parenting is a treat and you're in the library and sometimes you are stuck in a YouTube house. A 10 year old YouTube's utopia, which is not where you want to be. <laughs> so I, um, she keeps, she'll, she'll be like, oh mom, can I, where are you going to be? Can I sit by you and watch YouTube? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And so my weird thing is what she likes to do so what what is she into on the youtube she watches a woman play minecraft what she just and and a, my daughter can spend her own time playing minecraft and she she gets a limited amount of screen time like this is, we, we kind of break up the day where it's like, here's the stuff you need to do. Then you can have some free time. Here's the stuff you need to do. Then you can have some free time. So like, this is, this is a commodity that she is spending on this. She will often, instead of going and playing it herself, just watch this other person play Minecraft. And I was like, well, maybe she's learning, right? Like maybe she's learning how to do things. Yeah, getting tips and ideas. Which I'm sure that like in a, in a roundabout way, I'm sure that she is, right? I'm sure that it's inspirational, but that's not why she, they're not instructional videos. Like it'll just be this woman who like is making a horse or building a house or, and like, she she has a British accent. I can't remember her name, but she has a British accent and she narrates everything she's doing. And my daughter just laughs and laughs and laughs like it's the funniest thing that she has ever seen. And I don't understand one bit of it. Huh. So that's my, my weird thing is just that like, and um, there's also, she likes to watch like the unboxing videos, which are really, really, really big with the kids her age. Like the, um, what, what are the, the little Shopkins that they'll like? Shopkins like, unboxing videos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, why are we spending time doing this? And she's like, well, you just don't understand, mom. You have to watch it. So then I'll watch it. I'm like, nope, I understood that it made sense what was happening. I do not get why we're doing it. And so just, just 
what media appeals to yeah the kids is my weird thing and I don't understand it I'm so interested in this I know there are points where I need to check in with myself like I'm doing okay but I know I need to stop and reorganize things if I start watching on YouTube fashion subscription unboxing videos yeah this is not this is not limited to children like there's a whole adult genre for them and like I've run across them when I've been doing my own like entertainment but it just has I just don't get it hey I'm 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 very I I'm not gonna take the time right now and maybe it'll come out in the end but I am very interested in this because I'm like I don't want to write it off entirely because I do find myself sometimes but it is what I know that I am deeply in a depressive hole that I that I need to like check in on myself and say what's going on. Like this is like the check engine light coming on. You're like, yes, yeah, morning, morning. Like maybe let's go out outside for a walk instead of doing this. Like Take really, some like, water and yeah, hydrate. <laughs> Call someone. Stop this. So I see the appeal. It's an appeal that I have to watch. But at the same time, I feel a little judgy about like the Minecraft thing. I'm like, well, just go play Minecraft. And I don't know if there's an equivalent for me to be like, well, just go buy subscription boxes and look right. at yourself trying them on. So the consumer hmm. unboxing thing, as stupid as that might seem, I get it. Like we like buying things and that's a way to to not actually consume, to consume still, things without yeah. actually consuming things. But the Minecraft isn't, and I like, I'm not judging. I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm judging her. Cause I, no. like, I, I like ridiculous things for entertainment, no. right? Like I, there are times when I'm like, why am I watching this ridiculous thing? But you know, like you just need some mindless, but just, it, it just amuses me how so much I don't playlist. <laughs> I was trying to think. My mom was like, I actually can't think of anything you would consume that would be less than ideal. But then I remembered that. <laughs> Although it is a very moving show. <laughs> We're not judging your daughter at all. I'm just really interested because there's also the whole genre of watching gamers. Yeah, like, no. Like games. People make tons of money just playing games and having people watch them. Um and I mean, you know, we watch sports and don't participate. And I guess that that's fill, probably filling the same need, but it just, it just strikes me as weird. So that's my weird yeah. thing. I guess since I don't play Minecraft, I don't appreciate the artistry of yeah. it. So it seems silly, not silly, but it's just, I don't get it. Yeah. But then, yeah, we watch people play sports that we could go outside and play all the time. That's a, a good. Yeah. Yeah. And I've read like, now that we're talking about it, like I read like, I read two different books about people hiking, like where it was just like, you know, like, <laughs> their, like their memoir of like going on these hikes. Like maybe it's a yeah. deeply human thing, but you're seeing this emerge in your in your daughter with different interests. Yeah. <gasps> it's fast. That's fascinating. Okay. All right. Yep. There it is. <laughs> Pop culture. I hope this doesn't go on too long, but you said something to me last week. It was not while we were recording our podcast because we actually talked quite a long time before the podcast started a lot of the time. 
And you asked me a question that is, um, it was such a good question, but in some ways it has haunted me. Oh no. I don't think I let you know in the time that it haunted me, but I'll tell you now, it was a good question, which just was a very simple question of, and I'll ask it to the, to everyone listening. We've been in the pandemic for over a year now. And now with, again, like I said, my parents came to visit, things seem like they're clearing up and we're going to slowly, but surely normalcy. Yeah. Some kind, some emergence of some sort. And so, um, but it was a very, very long time of, for you and I know, staying in our house, not seeing other people uh, outside of pods that you formed. So um, you asked me if you had known, like March day of last one. year. Day, day one. Day year. Which technically is like March, like right around my birthday was the day people are saying, this is it. This was the day we knew. Um, so on my birthday, if you knew that it was going to last so long, as long as it did, if someone came down and said, this is going to be like over a year, what would you have done immediately? And that was a really good question. You said things like, I would have bought the, I, I ended up putting a, a like movable island in my kitchen Um and I didn't do that till like, I don't know, four or five months in because I was spending so much more time cooking and it was life-changing. It was life-changing to have like this counter height space where I could prepare food without having to hunch and, and I just. All these little, that the hunching, the little things that you were like, I'll just get used to it. I'll get used to it. And then you don't <laughs> want to. And mine was pretty similar of just, I got a little, um, little wheelie cart from Ikea to put all my work stuff in because my spouse and I are both working out of our house and I was just working from the dining room table. And at the end of the day, it was just nice to be able to put that on the cart, push it away. And I didn't do that until like three months ago. But then I started thinking about this question and that was like my only real answer was a cart that I bought. And I'm like, it's not that I did everything right at all. I'm like, what is the problem? And I'm like, I'm deeply in many ways unhappy with, with not, everyone's unhappy with this year, but I am also deeply unhappy in many ways with how I've handled it in various ways, primarily with how I've handled productivity, which of course is like an insane thing to say. We should give ourselves a break. So I've been thinking about this because I'm constantly fighting with myself of I've gotten so much less done than I would in a normal year. It's not a normal year, Catherine. And then blah, 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 blah. And, and this get, whole thing. And we're very similar in this way, but you're like, you had all this time and it's right. like, not really. I was in panic survival mode. It wasn't like I was yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. I think that's why that question was haunting me. Cause I'm like, it was so much time and I didn't do anything. And I can't even think of anything to change. And there's this whole feeling, we've talked about it before, of I'm not being super productive, but I don't, at least I'll say I don't feel like I'm getting anything done. But then at the end of the day, I don't feel like I've been relaxing. And I don't know if you saw it, but um, I think ever, a lot of people saw it. I've been hearing about it everywhere. Shout out to my mom again, who was the first one that sent it to me. But it was the New York Times article by Adam Grant about languishing. Yeah. This word, we're all languishing. And so I thought that was a very good article. Um, 
And if you haven't read it, I encourage you to, but that's not what I want to talk about. That wasn't like, that made sense, but it wasn't quite what I was feeling. And I'll really quickly summarize it and read from it. Basically, it says languishing is the neglected middle child of mental health. It's the void between depression and flourishing, the absence of well-being. You don't have symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the picture of mental health either. You're not functioning at full capacity. Languishing dulls your motivation, disrupts your ability to focus, and triples the odds that you'll cut back on work. So, right, you're just, you're not working. You're not functioning at full capacity. You're not, they say it's the opposite of flourishing. It's like, it's like the ways. wilted but not dead houseplant, right? Like, right. Definitely Funny. needs something more, but isn't, you know. It's not dead, but it's not doing good. Um, and funny, you should mention houseplants Uh-oh. because <laughs> I read another article by Austin Cleon called I'm not languishing. I'm dormant. Oh. And that one super duper duper resonated with me. I loved this article. Um, he uses the metaphor of gardening a lot in this. And again, this is not, this is all pop culture. I do have like a zinger pop culture at the end, but I'll quote from, from that article by Austin Kleon real quick. And he says, it seems to me that the reason that so many of us feel like we're languishing is that we are trying to flourish in terrible conditions. It is spring outside or the unlocking season, but it's still winter in America. And as any gardener knows, if you try to wake a plant out of dormancy too soon, it will wither and maybe die. It's a mistake and a misreading of nature to think that you, a living creature, will be flourishing all the days of your life. And ultimately he says, I'm not languishing because I'm not trying to flourish right now. And so he takes this metaphor of gardening and saying gardeners know time differently. Gardeners know when to plant things, when to let things be, what to plant when. And um, you're not, it's not a spring flower bed all year. And so he, he's saying that a lot of this feeling might be from, you wake up every day and say, well, this day is going to be different. This is going to be the day that I do all the work. And just, we have to say there's that day isn't here. It's not going to be here. Um, I'm not languishing because I'm not trying to flourish. Beautiful. If I look distracted, it's because I'm, I'm going to hijack your pop culture thing when you're done. So I'm trying to awesome. find something I want to use. Okay. To <laughs> so I, I think that really resonated with me because it gave me the answer to the question you asked last week. And I would say from day one, I would not try to flourish. You just give yourself permission to be like, hey, this year, this year you're hunkering down. Yeah. Yep. That's a smart answer. I'm not a tulip in full bloom this whole year. I am a, I'm a seed in a packet that's going to go on sale at a Lowe's Super Center in, in another year. And someone will plant me. That metaphor got away from me. All this to say that article, which I'll link all these to the show notes, um, led gave great examples. We, I think early on in the pandemic, we heard these examples of like, oh, all these great artists did all their work in pandemic. So screw you. Um, they gave an alter, a different example of Michelangelo, great artist, lost 
four years of work to a lawsuit. It's well recorded in his own writing. Four years? Four years. In his own autobiography, he in his writings, he talks about this lawsuit that arose um, because of a tomb project he worked on. He talks about it in great detail. And then he says that he just was so stressed out by this. He didn't pick up a chisel for four years. He didn't do any sort of work oh or production. God. And where was this in his, like, relative to the, to what we would know as his great work? Was this, like, in the middle of it? It was pretty much at the height of it because he had done the Della Rivera tomb project, which he got sued over. And so it was before he had done the Sistine Chapel, but like he was getting commissioned for these really important projects. They also give the example in the article of Isaac Newton, people held him up of someone who got all this work done during the plague, is that Newton did theorize gravity while quarantining, but he didn't have library access. And while he was testing the theory, he didn't some of he didn't have some of the constants he needed, like size and masses. So he was trying to work from memory because he didn't have library access. And he actually made a calculating mistake. And he didn't realize he had made this mistake. And so he thought his theory was just wrong. And, and so it was because he was so isolated that he couldn't like check it against the world. Oh. Yeah. It wasn't until later he put it away in a drawer. Years later, a friend asked him about it. He pulled it out. His friend saw the area, the error, and then together with full library access, they went and worked it out properly afterwards. So they, so, so you might come up with the idea, but you didn't get to flourish it. It was just sitting and waiting. Oh, yes. This is beautiful. And then I want to say my actual pop culture, again, last week, the pop culture was watching TV with my brother. This is, I binged with him. I had seen it before, but I binged with him a whole series called how to with john wilson and i cannot recommend that series highly enough but this kind of all wraps up in um episode two of that show it's on hbo and episode two is called how to put up scaffolding and it's a very interesting lesson on the history of scaffolding especially in new york city but the way the show works is it starts with something simple like what, what is scaffolding or how to make small talk and just expands in crazy ways. And so this one is really kind of just a lesson about how people will slowly put up with anything like. So that episode, How to Put Up Scaffolding of How to with John Wilson, ties all of these thoughts up. I won't get into it too much other than to say. You will cry in the final episode. Okay. I'll be prepared. Prepared for some tears. Can I hijack your your thing for a minute? Absolutely. So I, I do have my own pop culture thing, but I what you were saying was just resonated with me so much. And it made me think of um, this book, Hope, Hope Jarin's book, Lab Girl, which um, I teach to um, some high schoolers. But this is a gorgeous book. And what you're talking about, um, she talks about. So she is a... I'm trying to remember what term she uses for the type of, of 
science that she does, but she works with plants a lot. And um, this is her memoir about, you know, um, being a scientist who has bipolar disorder and talking about her mental health. And so the way that it's written, and I'm a sucker for this, I might've even talked about it on this podcast before. I'm a sucker for these, um, what I term, well, I don't term them this, but there's a, a term for alt dis, which is when you kind of go in and out of like personal narrative and then sort yes. of academic discourse personal narrative, academic discourse, and some versions of alt this like mix them together within the same paragraph. Like they're, you just kind of, but um, my favorite ones are when it's like chapter by chapter and it's like chapter of personal narrative, chapter of academic discourse, chapter of personal narrative. And this book is kind of like that. So she'll tell like a story of her life and then she'll tell something really detailed about plants and that they work together, but they, she doesn't always connect the dots for you. Like, it's like, here's this story about my life. Here's a story about a plant. And so there are two specific parts that um, I, I've thought of as you, and I was, if you, I look distracted is because I was rustling through trying to find the quote. So this is from uh, chapter three of part one, a seed knows how to wait. Most seeds can wait for at least a year before starting to grow. A cherry seed can wait for a hundred years with no problem. What exactly each seed is waiting for is known only to that seed. Some unique trigger combination of temperature, moisture, light, and many other things is required to convince a seed to jump off the deep end and take its chance, to take its one and only chance to grow. Yes. And then back in, I think this is part two, it's chapter eight of part two, I think. Um, it's all about resurrection plants. And it starts with a cactus doesn't live in the desert because it likes the desert. It lives there because the desert hasn't killed it yet. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the end, it says resurrection plants are usually tiny, no bigger than your fist. They are ugly and small and useless and special. When it rains, their leaves puff up, but do not become green for 48 hours because it takes time for photosynthesis to start up. During those strange days of its reawakening, the plant lives off of pure concentrated sugar, an intense sustained infusion of sweetness, a year's worth of sucrose coursing through its veins in just one day. This little plant has done the impossible. It has transcended the wilted brown of death. The miracle is not sustainable, of course, and within a day or two, things will inevitably go back to normal. Such a crazy life takes its toll, and in the long term, even a resurrection plant withers and dies completely. But for a brief, glorious moment, it knows something that no other plant has ever known, how to grow without being green. Oh, my gosh. That book is beautiful. It is amazing. I highly recommend this book. And the entire thing is like that. Like, it's just, it's stunning writing. These amazing metaphors. Like, you, if you pick it up and you're like, oh, it's a book about plants. But it is, it is a book about how to live life. Like it's a, it's a gorgeous book. I highly, I can put it on my library list. Get it from the library. Yes. Yeah. I I love that. I would have told myself to be a seed. This is your seed time. Wait, this is not your, this is not your your sprout time. time. And if you're trying to flourish all the time, you've got poor little resurrection plant. It's like, here's a burst back down. Here's a burst back down. I felt like that. I felt just like just like wilted and full of sugar is how I have felt this no, year. No, I agree. I'm tired of being a resurrection plant. I'm ready to be a seed. Official so my pop actual pop culture is, um, have you heard of the game A Little Wordy? No. When we get together, I will bring it. Uh, it is a word game from the makers of Exploding Kittens. Love that game. It's a two-player game. It is very quick. 
and it is very fun. So I love word games. Um, I love like Foggle, Scrabble, all your classics. People won't play them with me because I win. And um, I'm not saying that's a brag because I lose a ton of games. In fact, my full pop culture thing is going to be about all the games I play, even though I never win them. Um, but I, a little wordy, I love it because it's a word game, but it is more balanced. Like I feel like, because you know, some people just are good with words and if you play a word game with people who are just good with words it feels really imbalanced really quickly right like um and so but this is the way that the game works is you you get seven consonants and four vowels and you create a word of any length from that and then you pass your 11 tiles to your opponent and your opponent has done the same thing and passes you their 11 tiles and through these little cards that you you pick so like one of them might be like Um, you know, your opponent gets four points, but they have to tell you the last letter of their word, or you get three points, but you have to tell your opponent, um, how many vowels are in your word or whatever. So it's like this, like deductive and you like have these little, little note, note card where you're writing down the stuff that you've learned. Oh, and you have to guess the word. Yeah. And you, oh, it's like battleship, but with words. Yes. Yes. So you have to figure out their word before they figure out your word. And, but you also have these little tokens that you're amassing. So if, if you figure out their word, but they have more points than you, they get to keep going and hopefully you'll have to like, so it just, it's, it's a really, um, it's, it's a really fun strategy game. It's quick. My daughter loves it, which is fun because she doesn't normally like playing word games with me. And so I just, it, so, but the, the thing that I wanted to, to expand on. So first of all, just, I recommend it. I think it is well worth it. It's not an expensive game. Like a lot of board games are super expensive and this one is not, it's like, it was like $15. Absolutely worth it. Um, but I was thinking about it and I was also thinking about, you know, we've played on board game arena and, um, there was this huge thing because as which is a, a board game publishing company that has gotten into some hot water because they've kind of are like just taking over a lot of smaller places. Mm. They bought board game arena, which has caused some controversy, but Cons aside, to not ignore them, one of the positives was that um, Splendor. Do you know? Do you know the game Splendor? Okay, so it's a very, very popular board game. I should say no. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> Good podcasting, Catherine. Way to participate <laughs> audibly. No, I haven't. <laughs> so uh, it's a very popular board game. It has won lots and lots of awards. Um, and it has recently come to Board Game Arena. So I was learning how to play it, to play it with a friend. And I am so bad at it. But it is a lot of fun. And it's I'm not bad at it because I don't get it. Because I understand <laughs> the strategy. And I just I just don't want to play it effectively. Like, I... <laughs> oh, this is fascinating. You have... Okay, okay. Why not? If you know how to effectively play it, why don't you want to? Because it's more enjoyable to play it my way. <laughs> okay. I am interested in this because a game I brought up previously on this podcast, I Love Cats, which is a problematic game, but I will say, A, one of those expensive games. So I got it for my birthday and we're going to get our money's worth. B, it's just a genuinely fun game. I do love I've heard playing lots it. of really good things about it the playability of it and the, yeah. Um, So when my family was here, we played that a lot and we were looking at old score sheets and we realized I've never lost a game, never. But then 
my brother was like, no, nope. The way you're playing, not a good way. And he like has his own way of playing. He knows it's going to, he knows he's going to lose every time. But he's like, this is how I'm playing. Your way is wrong. I don't like it. I don't care if it's in the bounds of the game. No. So I could not understand this. I'm like, play to win, Why wouldn't you play to win? Yeah. So I, so the way that Splendor works is, I'm going to try to explain this in a way that will make some sense to somebody who hasn't played it. You, you've got, you're trying to amass token, like um, gemstones, right? And there's gemstones in, I think, five or six different colors. And so every turn you can either take three gemstones, buy a card or put a card in reserve to buy later. And so there's the cards are in three tiers. Like there's like pretty cheap cards that don't earn you any points. But every time you get a card that counts as like a permanent gemstone. So then you don't have to amass other gemstones to buy more cards. So you're basically like building your, it's a deck building game where you're building Mm -hmm. your resources to spend later. Right. And so um, the strategy to win quickly is to identify which cards there are a lot of out there and um, figure out how you can as quickly as possible amass those types of cards and get the ones that are worth the most points because as soon as you get to 15 points you win and so like I understand the strategy but it just like I I find it stressful and not fun to play that way and I'm like I just want to see where the cards take me and see (laughs) how many I can I can get over time and like so I I have this like big vision and plan and then somebody always gets to 15 before me even though like I'm like oh well if you would just leave me alone I would have an empire of cards play my long game here (laughs) right um and you need to find a bunch of like-minded people <laughs> and have your own special long game splendor game team. Yes. Where you all agree. Well, and I was I was playing with my friend and she played a lot more like me and she still beat me, but she has played it lots of times, but it was much closer. And I feel like it was because we were both playing like that, right? We were both like, oh, let's just kind of see how this goes. And like, I'm not, it's not this cutthroat race to the top. It's like a, and we end up with more cards than people who are trying to like get straight to the top, right? Like we have a, and we have a more balanced collection of resources. Stable foundation when you take your time to get to the top. This feels like a valuable life metaphor. I think so. And, um, so I just, that, I guess that's my pop culture thing. And, I, and a little wordy is kind of like that because you could just like not care if you're giving your opponent um, more points and just try to like cut so through. That's why that game sounded so exciting. I like when there are multiple routes that, yeah. oh, you guessed it, it's done. No, but there's also points. Be thinking about this. And and so like, and the points are worth different. So like you could very slowly sort of gain information about the thing and it'll probably take you a little while to guess their word, but you're not going to give them a ton of points because you've just kind of slowly and carefully set it up. Or you could play much more risky, but get your information quickly and probably, you know, like, I, and I just, I guess my pop culture thing is how different it is to play those games depending on your opponent's strategy. So yeah. that like, like who you're playing with absolutely changes the whole game. Okay, so that brings us to research. I'm going to say, Michelle, for my research, do we want to talk about art or do we want to talk about hunting for treasure? Can't we do both? 
Exactly. Guess what? We don't have to choose. Um, so this week, my research is about spawned from. It continues on. But I was inspired this week because it started this week. There is an ongoing exhibition in Colorado. It is in both Denver and Colorado Springs. And it's collaborative. It's in galleries in those two spaces. But then there's also, it's a very cool exhibition because it also is happening in billboards and farms just all over the area. And it's an amazing show. It's called The Spaces Between. And so if anyone's in the area in Colorado, go see that. I'll put the link to the whole big exhibition in the show notes. It's doing really innovative and interesting and contemporary things with the notion of landscape and the West. What I want to talk about today is part of one of these things that aren't housed within the gallery space is called the gold hunt. So it started this week. It's called the gold hunt. It's from artist Terry Campbell. Terry Campbell has already done three of these. This is the fourth gold hunt and he has hidden gold, like gold bars and is inviting anyone who cares to search for these through a scavenger hunt to go find 2.5 gram bar of gold hidden somewhere in Colorado. And basically there are 10 clues over a period of time. The first clue has been released. I've been waiting and waiting for it. I love a scavenger hunt. I love art. Gold is cool. So this combines a lot of things I like. And I just love this as a concept for an artwork. I think um, it's exciting. And basically Terry Campbell says, for the gold hunt for participants, because it's the fourth one, participants have the opportunity to solve 10 clues, which will take them to a series of locations across the Rocky Mountain Front Range, goes all over the place. The experience will be strange and mysterious for those who have only experienced art in museums and galleries. Everything will begin to look like a clue. Only one person or team will be able to find the piece of gold valued over $1,000. Good luck and be careful who you bring on this adventure. Apparently the second clue is going out May 29th. It says things will start simple, then become strange if you follow the adventure to the end. And then the artist said that in previous gold hunts, people do go a little crazy. He says he's even had has had people put trackers on his car, trying to like game the system of the gold hunt and not wanting to follow the clues. Yeah, I think this is a really amusing artwork. I'm really intrigued by this artwork and I'm definitely going on the gold hunt. So if anyone wants to help me out, I will split the money with you. All tips and clues, send them to angrymentpodcast at gmail.com. And if any of them lead me to finding the gold, I will cut you in. That seems sure. fair. And um, so, yeah, it's just, it's a rock and there's a nickel. I'm working on it. I'm sure there are people out there that are going to do better than me. I love scavenger hunts, but I'm very, very bad at them. Because we, uh, we we have been on these types of things and we overthink them. We like, yes. we, yeah. yeah. So how is this research? Well, 
I think I've justified a lot just like throwing a random artwork at the podcast by saying, I'm an art historian. It is my research. Nothing fair. else. I think that's fair. Fair enough. But um, I think one of the reasons, A, I really love this exhibition. I, I, I like exhibitions that rethink basic concepts of art and art history in like really how do you innovative ways. In how do you... Like thinking of this as a work that comments on landscape is brilliant. You're going to be running around all over, like looking outside. That's a great way to think about landscape. And there's a lot of other things in the show that do that really well. But then today, when I was thinking through this for research, I realized that I have for a long, long time been obsessed with the Fen treasure. Have you heard of the Fen treasure? No. All of this is like coming together. I was maybe a little predestined to someday live near the Rocky Mountains because a lot of cultural zeitgeist things I find mysterious and cooler here. The Fen treasure, an art dealer named Forrest Fen, which is such a great name for someone who's going to do a weird treasure hunt, buried a huge collection of gold and jewels and valuable antiquities somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. He unto himself is a really interesting person. He sold, he made a lot of his money by selling forged artworks like Manet's and Rembrandt's and very famous artworks, just fake forgeries of those. Apparently his gallery at one point was taking in like $6 million a year, I read, through forgeries and other things. He also was raided by the FBI for looted artifacts. So this guy is not entirely on the up and up. He then decided that he was going to go bury a bunch of valuables in the Rocky Mountains and conveniently enough, wrote a book about it that he said included all the hints you need to go find this treasure. What a way to sell books. Five people died while searching for the treasure. And many, many, many more got arrested for various infractions in like national park areas, for digging where they shouldn't, for having fires where they shouldn't. He was even sued by a man in Colorado Springs who said, this is fake. You're doing this to sell books. You're causing people to die. That's what I've been thinking the whole time you've been talking. I'm like, is this just yep. all? Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but it was right. Like, like national parks and the local governments were begging him. Like, you have to call this off. People are dying. People are getting arrested. And finally the treasure was found in June of 2020. And then he died in September of 2020. It, it feels as though he was waiting for it to be found or there's something fishy, but basically um, in December of 2020, so after Forrest Finn died, Jack Stueff, a medical student from Michigan, revealed that he found Fenn's treasure chest and um, he had found it in June. He found it in Wyoming. He said that a poem in the book told him everything he needed to know. He went and found it and he only went public because um, there was a lawsuit against Fenn ongoing that was going to reveal his identity as the person who found it. So that's 
a wild story that I've been obsessed with for a long time. But the fact that like, it wasn't made public that somebody had found it. I mean, what if somebody had found After it? After he died. Well, what if somebody found it so many years ago and no one had made it public? Like that, like you've got to tell people when it ends, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a great point that he only disclosed it because of the lawsuit. People were still looking for it, probably. Yeah, that I think that's the part that bothers me the most. Like, you got to let me know when the game is over. Yeah, do the responsible thing. I'm sure the gold hunt through the Gallery of Contemporary Art here in Colorado Springs will let everyone know when it is found. And no one will die, I hope. I hope. I'm sure. Okay. But... um so I realized that part of this, I've been, I've been chomping at the bit for this gold hunt. And I've been very, very That's excited. Not, it sounds so fun. I mean, you so know, fun. not the dying. Oh yeah, and... not the other one with the looted antiquities. Right. This, but I like that this is an artwork in and of itself. And in my research, I did find two other art related treasure, treasure searches in 2017, the Visual Art Center in Scunthorpe in the UK um, to promote a show they were doing, made replicas of some artifacts they had in gold. Each one was worth about $1,000 and they hid them all over Scunthorpe. And the idea was that paintings in the exhibition would have clues. And if you went and studied the paintings, you would be able to then unlock the mysteries of where around Scunthorpe they had hidden these valuable gold miniatures. However, before the exhibition even opened, most of them were found. And the curator said, I was expecting two or three to be found, something like that. What I did not expect was the response of the public would be so astonishingly aggressive. I didn't expect the public would just go around looking in every nook and cranny of the town without a care about the art to try and find the artifacts. So that made me a little sad that um, they knew there was treasure. No one went to the museum to find the clues. They just looked everywhere. I mean, it surprises me that that surprised him. (laughs) (laughs) Have you met people? Have you met people? They fill garbage bags with gasoline. (laughs) Yeah. They just tore Scunthorpe apart to find these miniatures. They actually, though, what the museum did because of that was they gave an extra $1,000 to anyone who could tell them the clue that, that led got to that. them the miniature. And not yeah. many people that could. Incentivize the learning. Exactly. And then in 2014, also in the UK, in Folkestone, a German artist named Michael Salesdorfer buried gold bars on a beach and um, had the public come and dig on the beach to find the gold bars. It was revealed after many, many hours and days and unhappy people of looking for the gold bars that they were actually very, very small gold bars. They were only about an inch big and that the tide had washed them all away before the gold hunt even started. There's a metaphor. Yep. (laughs) So... Um, All that to say that the tradition of gold and hunts and art is interesting. And I'm very excited for this one that will hopefully not lead in any deaths or cheaters not looking at the clues 
or everything being washed out to shore. I'm sure it will be much more successful and satisfying. And wish me, and if anyone wants to help me, I can get in, you can get a cut. So my research thing is that I have been thinking a lot about journalism paywalls. Um, <gasps> Sorry. I, <laughs> me too. <laughs> as, um, a, as a confessed um, pirater of media who wants to reform, me too. So we've talked before on the show about how like all these streaming services and um, content creators and it's like how I can't pay for Like I can't pay $20 a month for a thousand different authors things like I that's you know like I am willing to pay I I want people to get paid I am willing to pay for content I don't pirate any of my like you know like I subscribe to a whole bunch of streaming services I won't even like share passwords with people like I'm not judging but I just like it just makes me feel like I just can't do it like it I, I'm I'm very if you know about my good place obsession I'm very cheaty in that way I'm like it'll just eat at me Yes, I'm doing I'm doing it for selfish reasons. I just need to survive. Um so <laughs> make that make that fork in the in the yes. So I I work pretty hard to make ethical decisions, but um I am also as I mentioned before I'm a ghostwriter, so I have to I have to use a lot of media as sources and and I'm just noticing that like there are way 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 more paywalls than there were even just like six months ago. Um, I don't know if it is, if it is a response to like pandemic issues and finances. I think, I know that part of it is um, because just our tolerance for invasive advertising has gotten much lower. So people are just not okay. Like it's, it's kind of ironic because online advertising has actually gotten much more effective and, um, individual and engaging and more likely to lead to a sale. But because of that, it has also creeped people out so much that they're becoming much more um, like averse to it. And so it, because people are finding ways to like protect their, um, protect their information and they're not willing to give up the kind of that privacy that would make the advertising lucrative for the newspapers, then what's, it's just, the model of using advertising to pay for journalism is just not working very well anymore. And so I understand why these paywalls are happening, but I've just been feeling really, really uncomfortable with it because especially for journalism, right? If it's like for, you know, some thought piece on pop culture or whatever, but we're talking about even like just news stories about, you know, what is happening in the world and what, health stories and um we know how important it is that information be shared in a way that is equitable and accessible so that people can make informed choices as voters in a democracy or make informed choices about how they like keep themselves safe during a pandemic for instance um and you know like i think both the new york times and washington post made their pandemic coverage yeah all those very specific too if it's about the pandemic or COVID at all, it was free, but everything else, yeah. And and I think that that's one way to handle it, but then it's like you're deciding what... What news should be most understood or not that. Right, like, I also want to know, like, what Congress is up to. Like, that feels like an important... Like, how do you decide what is a matter of public... (laughs) 
so important that we have to let everyone know for free and what, yeah. Um, and so I went to kind of do some research and I found the, uh, just a, an article from the Center for Media Engagement from the University of Texas at Austin that was asking about the ethics of paywalls. And this is not, I mean, this is not, it's pretty like straightforward, but I just wanted to kind of re- go through some of their um, history and then pros and cons. So they talked about how, you know, in the early 1990s, um, the, the internet was so new that people like truly just didn't think that news would ever be like, they're like, who would want to consume news that way? Right. Like who would ever want to look at a screen to get there? <laughs> like, it's never going to replace newspapers. People like opening their newspapers. Right. And just, um, so th- they were actually really excited to get their stuff on there at all because it felt new and interesting. And so everybody was offering it for free because it didn't seem like a threat to their, to their subscriptions because nobody yeah. was going to stop subscribing to the newspaper because they could get it occasionally on this dial up internet service, right. That wasn't widespread. And so um, they really shot themselves in the foot by creating this expectation that news online was free because from the very beginning, like that's just, we were like, well, it's just free online. And we would not, ex- I mean, you know, we don't want to pay for something we're used to getting for free. Like that, right. it's really hard to get people to change in that direction. Right. Um, and I didn't realize this, but a huge part of the problem for journalism, for print journalism and for paid journalism, more than like the online stuff was, it was Craigslist because classifieds actually provided a lot of the, Oh, and I, I didn't realize that. So like, I always thought like, Oh, it's just that people weren't getting print. But people stopped using paying for classifieds, which was a huge portion of a lot of newspapers' budget. And um, Craigslist is a lot more efficient at that and gets it to more people and you can search it more easily. And um, so a lot of people stopped paying for classifieds because there were all these free alternatives online. And that really dried up print journalism's a major source of their their money. And so um, that's been like paywalls the Wall Street Journal was the first to use a hard paywall. And they started in 1996. They were like, nope, if you want this content, you have to pay for it. And they're one of the only ones um, that that did that. Uh, but now we see a lot of people doing like soft paywalls, especially like metered paywalls, where it's like you, you know, you have to pay after you've read three articles a month or whatever. Um, you said things are changing. And those number of free articles are, they've decreased. They've decreased. They've for sure decreased. And they're also getting smarter about the workarounds, right? Like people yeah. going into on incognito browsers or, um, and even though I don't, I don't usually steal content. I do occasionally like use a different browser to get, usually it's when it's like something that I have to read for work and I'm like, well, I'm not subscribing. And a lot of these subscriptions are really expensive. Like I can't pay $30 a month for six different newspapers like that is that's a ridiculous I mean like I understand that obviously I'm a writer right like I understand that writers need to get paid but that's just a threshold that people are only gonna be able to subscribe to like one newspaper if if they cost this much right like we're gonna have to figure out a way to pool some resources here if we if we want people to be informed in the world um, so there's definitely been an increase in paywalls over recent years. It's not just our imagination. The stats bear it out. It is increasing every year. And some pros for using a paywall that I think are worth mentioning is, is that it gives uh, newspapers independence from sponsors so that they yeah. aren't beholden to their particular advertisers to like not report on a certain issue or um, color something a particular way so that it 
reflects positively on whatever their sponsors are trying to sell. And it also leads to less sensationalism because they, they don't feel like they have to like go out and compete to get the most clicks to, to right, make those right. advertisers happy. That. They have subscribers that will just kind of get their content because it's high quality. And I'm, I'm watching Shrill. Do you watch Shrill? Yes. Okay. So season three is out. Are you watching? Have you seen any of it? Yet? I have not started season three. So there's, this is not a major spoiler. Um, the main character ends up kind of getting canceled for a while because she goes and reports on this like white supremacist separatist group. And um, she makes them like, she ends up reporting on them in a way that is not very responsible and um, showcases like the, the human side of them in a way that like readers were really upset about, but she tried to deflect it because they changed her title and they made her title much more clickbaity, right? Like people probably wouldn't even have read the article with her original title, but because the editor wanted it to be um, something sensational because they need those. And like, there's a whole thing about like how important it was to get all those clicks and that's, what's going to keep them alive. And they're a struggling print, outlet and like uh it it it's just it reminded me of this as I was reading it like that sensationalism and all those headlines the con of paywalls cons of them are that in in relation to those clickbaity headlines people are a lot more likely to share without reading because if they know I only get three articles a month they're a lot more likely to just be like oh well I'll just share this one based off the headline because I'm not going to click read it because I don't want to use up one of my free articles yeah and it definitely makes people consume a narrower set of sources because most people yeah. who are willing to pay for media are only willing to pay for two to three subscriptions. They're not going to pay for six or seven or 10 or 12. And, you know, there's so many media outlets. Like you said, then you have to choose, like, what's my outlet for getting the news? And then that's like your... That's your lens, your lens right? Yeah. And it creates tremendous economic disparities for access to information because uh, yeah. research has shown the people who are most likely to subscribe to any print sources are wealthier, um, as logic would dictate, especially those who are willing to subscribe to multiple perspectives. There's huge gaps in economics, ec- economic status. And so it um, one a quote from that article The paywall is inherently in conflict with journalism's primary goal to educate and inform the public about important issues. So there's just a huge concern that a paywall is hurting democracy. And I've been thinking a lot about how, like, obviously not all media sources are turning to paywalls because there's a lot of particularly right-leaning media sources that are heavily dependent on advertising. And they are actively don't want subscribers to pay. They don't want to create any barriers to subscribers because they're very much operating off of that, like click sensational, emotional. And it, it's just, it's very clear to me, at least that if we continue along this path, there's going to be more and more of a divide between who gets what information. And if this pool of information is free and in your face and screaming at you, and this pool of information is paywalled and difficult to get to. And I'll admit like, I subscribe to multiple, um, I subscribe to Washington Post, New York Times, and The Atlantic. And uh, sometimes I will click on like a New York Times article on on my phone, on Facebook, and it won't keep my login information. And it's such a pain to have to like, yes. I remember that and get it in so that I won't read the I article. I read it. Even when I've subscribed to it. Because You're it's paying such a pain. for it and you won't cross that wall. So... Yeah, how are we expecting people 
to seek that out, to get that information. I will say, and this, this brings it, you know, full circle to our beginning. A lot of libraries provide access to newspapers online. You can, a lot of your local libraries will get you, get you some news out. There you go. There you go. So maybe libraries will fix it all for us. And just to end this, I have to share that as I was trying to research this, I found a Quartz article that was about, it was from two years ago, and it was about the ethics of paywalls. And I was scrolling down and I read this line um, that the paywall is a, quote, fundamentally flawed business model that goes against the best interest of journalists and their readers, and it's doomed to fail. And then it trailed off because the two-year-old article is now locked behind a paywall and I couldn't read anymore. Oh. <laughs> let's recap. Let's recap. Let's a our... quick reminder about grab bags. Yes, please send us some grab bags. We are, this is episode 17 and we would love some special grab bags for our 20th episode. So get them in. Yeah. We've even we once had, doing like an all grab bag episode. Someday. We had big dreams of all grab bag episodes. Yeah. So send them to us. Angrymentpodcast yep. at gmail.com. So let's recap. I had for my weird thing, getting my library card. Mine was watching my daughter watch people play Minecraft on YouTube. My pop culture was generally, it was about um, languishing and trying not to flourish right now through being those a articles. Seed. Being a seed, being a seed who can wait, maybe a cherry, maybe a cherry seed for a hundred years. Mine was the game a little wordy and how our opponent's strategies change the experience of games. And then my research was The Gold Hunt by Terry Campbell. And my research was The Ethics of Journalistic Paywalls. I feel like there is something just solid here. These feel very interrelated. And yet... My mind has like it often does. Like, okay. So there's definitely a theme of searching for some searching and waiting, right? Like searching and waiting. Searching and waiting is making its way through all of these things, especially since like my daughter has to wait for me to be available to watch YouTube because she's not allowed to do it on her own. You waited a really long time to get your library card and you're, you know, there's information on the other side of all of these things, right? Like um, cause I liked when you were talking about YouTube, you're like, there's no medians. So there also seems to be something about boundaries, boundaries and information Barriers. on the other yeah. side. Do yeah. we want that information? Is that information is the access to it? Very, very. Is that access to it with causing the- more harm than good? And that kind of fits with the board games too, because like you have to wait until you see how your opponent's playing to develop your own strategy. So there's this like give and take of information. A little wordy is literally give and take of information. Like that's literally how the game is played. Okay. And there's there's literally a wall in a little wordy too, because you like, you put up a little barrier around your word. It is very battleshipy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So barriers to information crossing those barriers, jumping the medians, waiting, 
Um, it's Frogger. Frogger, Frogger is Take the it with answer. You. Put it in your pocket. <laughs> Frogger. Yeah. Right? Frogger's like you, you. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. No, I'm with you. You got it. Sometimes Frogger you're on the lily pad. Sometimes you're smashing the truck. Frogger isn't about flourishing. It's about. I'm making Frogger motions. And I'm making them in such a way that not even Michelle can see them. No, no, they're completely off the screen. All I can see is her shoulder moving where somewhere below the screen is a frogger motion. <laughs> I don't know what a frogger motion is. I actually don't know what I was just doing this. I look like when kittens beg for food. Doesn't everyone wish they could see what that means? Does anyone know what I mean? What I begging for food looks like. Okay. Um, okay. So- we have so I think Frogger fits with the library card. All my ways of dodging, getting the information. I didn't want to do it, and I made it, and it was great. On the lily lily pad of life. Um, your the watching. This Frogger work. What do we want to do about? What would we? I, I do think it works. Like as as a as a the visual concept of like waiting and timing yes. and getting across a barrier. I just have to figure out like, what are we going to say about it? Like what's our takeaway saying about it? Right. Like is the lesson. It's about knowing when to look and knowing when to leap and. Well, and another theme here, like a lot of this was like, cheating the system right like um because we, we, when we talked yeah. about the, the treasure hunt the people who like just went and looked everywhere instead of getting the clues uh the the, on the artist's car yeah yeah putting the period at the end of the thing uh you getting your your brother being like no the way you play the game is cheating even though it's by the rules because it doesn't fit like so i think that there's also something about like gaming the system or refusing to uh refusing to respect the barrier and how you're supposed to get across it to the information. Yeah. So it's less Frogger and it's more about these barriers and these medians. Yeah. And that we need to, do you, do you know that like the lines painted on highways, you know, just the demarcators of here are the stripes on the road. Those are huge. I may have said that here before. That's like a fun fact I love. That those are like, look so tiny while you're driving, right? Like, yeah. But they're actually, yeah, if you stopped, and not on like every road, right? But like on super highways. Where you're going so, because it has to be like, when you're going fast enough, they still have to look a certain size. Yeah. That if you stopped your car and got out, they would just, it would be crazy. It would be crazy. So the barriers, but that's not a barrier. That's a Line a boundary the though the boundary so boundaries i feel like also the how-to with john wilson the the lesson of that was how we get used to these things and these little workarounds even though the work we put into the workarounds is more work than if we just fixed rejected the, the problem yeah so me Figuring out, like, getting my library cards so they can have access to these news sources or just paying for them or figuring something else out instead of putting a period after .com and reading four sentences, 
having to hit refresh and scroll and reading the next four, getting used to that is not a good way to live, but we get used to it. And just like, you know, with your, your thing with the being a seed, like trying to flourish for a day to be wiped out again, to come back again, to be wiped out like the, the resurrection plant method. Like that wasn't like, it was, it would be better to just, yes, it, out, it would right? be better like, just to do nothing. Well, so I think, I mean, but you're not be doing nothing by being a seed, right? You're waiting. Yeah, for the right you're waiting. To, like, there's something about like stepping back and watching and observing. And that, that works with the game thing too. That works with, I think that's what my daughter's doing with the Minecraft videos, right? Like I don't want to go in and play do Minecraft mi- and play Minecraft, but you don't want to burn yourself out on something you love. And, and like getting the inspiration by sitting back and yeah. letting somebody else do it where you're not yeah. taking action for a while. Yeah. Again, I feel like we've talked very productively around it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this? What is our fortune cookie? It's. Something, it's like check that this is not this is not the fortune cookie version but it's something like you need to scrutinize the barriers in some cases to make sure they're real like to make sure that it actually is a barrier and that you didn't just like imagine it right yeah Um, or that like and and almost like you talking about like oh instead of doing this for two minutes two minutes two minutes like sometimes you need to step back and make sure like that you're not just walking through the one part that has a barrier and there's just these huge open spaces on either side oh I could have just walked around it right like instead of banging myself into this wall um so something about like being attentive and mindful well, even just researching paywalls I learned so much I never thought about why they're good or bad I'm just banging against it so being mindful of it definitely is part of this the barriers to me getting a library card were non-existent really they were just these not even convenience right the barriers I put up of just like, well, I have access to a university library when they're not the same entities. So it is, it is. What are these barriers? Who's putting them there? It makes me think of the, uh, the Erica Badu song that I'm thinking of is called 20 feet tall. And the lyrics say, then you, you built a wall, a 20 foot wall. So I couldn't see. And then it goes, but if I get off my knees, I might recall I'm 20 feet tall. Oh, <gasps> That's it. Can can song lyrics be fortune cookies? Can it just be you're your 20 feet tall? You're 20 feet tall. If you get off your knees, you're 20 feet tall. Frogger. <laughs> it's a combination of those that we're trying to get at, dear audience. Yes. yes. Dear listeners, <laughs> it's a combo of Frogger and these motions I'm making and that those great lyrics, you're 20 feet tall. Mix them up. Yeah. It's like a martini, you know, shake it up and have a drink. Yeah, it's a cocktail. It's a outdated video game, Erica Badu cocktail. You should go listen to that song and play Frogger. There's your fortune cookie. There it is. Listen to 20 Feet Tall and play Frogger. That's that's what it, that's what it would say if you, un, if you undid the cookie. You open the cookie, listen to 20 Feet Tall and play Frogger. Cool. I accept it. 
great. Thanks, fortune cookie. Wild, weird, surreal fortune cookie, but it makes sense in my heart. Out of context, that fortune cookie would drive you mad. Okay. I don't know. I think it would be pretty fun. I'd be like, okay, that's actionable, right? A lot of fortune cookies. This is our first like really actionable one. Yeah. You would go do it. If a fortune cookie told you that, what else could you do? I'm like, okay. I have, and you know, that's not that you can, I'm sure there's like a free frogger online and you could just play the YouTube video for 20 feet tall. Like this is not, there's not a huge barrier to this advice. And there you go. That's it. The end. The end. Bye, Bye everyone. <laughs>